Attention, attention please, stand by for another episode of When Humanists Attack. Welcome to another episode of When Humanists Attack. My name is Roger Kimmel-Smith. Your entirely befuddled interlocutor. I'm also highly pleased to have the honor of interviewing our guest, Lucas West. Uh, I've been wanting to get to know Lucas for a while now, uh, being the child of my old friend, Chris West West, the pontificator, whom you might have seen here on When Humanists Attack. Lucas is also, I assure you, a fascinating individual in his own right. He is uh, just a few weeks shy of uh, turning 17. So in my calculations, uh, you would have been born in aught three, correct? Yeah. Uh, And Lucas is a student in Northern Vermont. Let me get right to having you talk. What kind of childhood have you had or are coming to the end too or whatever? And, and, what have your main interests been up to this point? Well, my childhood has been absolutely wonderful. Uh, when I was six, we moved from a little suburb in the Netherlands to northern Vermont, into the woods, into a bog. So, um, you, were, so you were born over on the European side of things. Yep. I was born in the Netherlands and I lived there until I was six. I didn't like it very much over there. I don't know. I was bullied by my classmates and you think first graders can't bully that bad but that's not true it, it was it was a year I didn't like it we moved here um and I made some really good friends and I got to have the idyllic you know northeast childhood of walking to the general store to get ice cream and covered bridges and bright colorful leaves and a lot of hanging out in the woods and I know your father uh, as a, a U.S. American from New York City, uh, but your mother is from the Netherlands. Yep, so my mom's Dutch. This, when or why they chose to come back to the U.S.? I don't know. I was six. I didn't really have a say in it. But they wanted to move for a while. The Netherlands is not a very progressive country, and it was starting to frustrate them. Also, they wanted us to learn English better. And also Vermont is absolutely lovely. And I think my mother wanted a little more space. I don't really know their motives, but those seem like things that they've told us over the years. How have you been dealing with the the pandemic and the calamities of, of 2020? Generally, all right. The whole George Floyd situation got me really riled up. That affected me a lot more than the pandemic. My mother already worked from home. Uh, Mm -hmm. So we were fortunate enough to not be severely financially impacted by it. It was and has been generally frustrating. I don't don't know what to say. Um, School got shut down and it was really sad um, because my junior year was about the best year of school I've ever had. And for for it to end like that was really disappointing. I'm sure. But uh, I mean, it sounds like you have been working out ways around it. You were going to tell me three or three or four ways uh, you're consuming education at the moment. I'm a high school student, just in a normal high school that I'm at a technical program, uh, the Health Sciences Academy. It's a uh, two year medical preparatory program. Wow. Uh, 
Yeah, I'm enrolled in a dual enrollment course with UVM. I've been wanting to go into medicine since I was two. A lot of uh, people I've talked to who ended up going into medicine are like, yeah, I've known my whole life. It's always been fascinating to me. And I've always known that I wanted to be a doctor. But the, the always chance... known that you wanted to be a doctor. Yep. Tell, and tell me, can, do you have like really old memories that you've you know cherished or built up around yeah. this 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 claim of yours? Well, uh, when I was really little, I my mom we used to travel a lot because we lived in Europe and it was easy to get around Europe. So you know, if Paris is a five-hour train ride away, you go to Paris. Like you know. My mother had gotten us these little fun kits. They were these little boxes. Uh, my brothers had Lego in them. And uh, mine used to be one that had like dinosaurs, but she took the dinosaurs out, uh, covered it in white paper, drew a little red cross on the front and filled it with band-aids and gauze rollers and an ace bandage oh, uh, and gave me that. And then... I would sit with my stuffed animals and I would just bandage them up at, at the age of like four, something like that. <laughs> um, all that stuff. I don't and, know. And so, and so this, this was you at that age wanting to be a doctor. Yep. And I, as a little female bodied and female presenting person got asked by a lot of people, don't you mean a nurse? No, <laughs> I do not mean a nurse. Because back then, you know, I had the whole prejudice that everyone's taught of like nurses are less than, but actually nurses do a majority of the work. You are presently neither a nurse nor a doctor, correct? No, I am a high school student, a high school student enrolled in a medical technical program because that was the soonest I could do anything medically related. How remarkable. When and how did you come to feel like uh like gender was a, a, an issue or a question or a problem for you? Just to establish it, I'm transgender. I identify as a transgender male. I became aware of the fact that something wasn't right around seventh or eighth grade. I'd always been a tomboy. So I'd always been more interested in masculine pursuits. I'd always been more interested in masculine clothing. Um, what do you mean by masculine pursuits? Like, if given the choice on the playground to do jump rope or go hit someone with a stick, I would choose the latter. <laughs> I don't know. I, I always, the, the, you know. The, the, the more violent pursuits? Yep. Does that mean? Well, not even more violent. Just I I have the fortunate position of having been a member of both the Girl Scouts, the Venturers, and the Boy Scouts. When I was a Girl Scout, uh, we do things like the Arts and Crafts Merit Badge and business merit badge and i'd look at my brother who was in the boy scouts learning how to make fires and do first aid and make emergency shelters and i was like hold on i want to do that stuff and i actually started i my father helped me start an organization with a tiny organization with three of my other friends at the time that we called the tom boy scouts we got some boy scout handbooks and manuals and did it as a group of then girls now i think three of us are genderqueer so uh, so am i hearing you right or am i putting too much into it that uh you use the phrase tomboy you know uh, it, it seems almost uh like an outmoded phrase to my ears yeah you know it's... certainly one of not of generations not your own 
I used to describe myself as a tomboy. I was a female presenting person. Back then, I called myself a girl who enjoyed masculine things and masculine clothing and didn't want to be seen as girly. Uh, Honestly, I'm much more feminine now, years after I came out, than I ever was when I was in the closet. When did it start to move into transhood for real? I became aware that the discomfort that I was experiencing was gender dysphoria in eighth grade. Time, you know, considered to be the key moment of puberty. I didn't notice at at the time, but looking back at it, I really hated going through puberty. And I Often when I say that, people are like, oh, well, everyone hates going through puberty. I'm like, I don't think you Mm -hmm. understand. I Mm -hmm. hated the start. What was it aimed at specifically? Okay, so for example, menstruation. The first Mm -hmm. time I got my period, I cried for five hours. Mm -hmm. Nonstop. My mother was like, yeah, let's celebrate. And I just tears. I didn't want it. I didn't know what it was. It scared me. Mm-hmm. I hated it mm-hmm. and I was terrified of it for like three years. Did you ever uh, try to get the fear of it or alienation from it, whatever addressed specifically? Not you know? really. Of, I just of... generally over time and just moved from fear to annoyance, just kind of like, ugh. There's that thing again. You, okay. d- you didn't have a coming of age ritual. Uh, my parents bought me a stuffed bear. I was really young, but I got my period when I was 10. Decided I didn't like it and was like, wow, who can I see for a refund? <laughs> and I didn't attribute that with any feelings of gender for a long, long time. I see. So wait, so so Mansi's a 10 uh, is still considerably before you're saying mm-hmm. that you started. Yeah, I just I was just generally uncomfortable with that and the rest of my body for a while before I realized, oh, there's a word for this. And also other psychological feelings attached with other gendered things in my life. Can you unpack that? There were things, just little weird things. I have this like visceral reaction whenever someone refers to a group I'm in as ladies. I just hate it. (laughs) Um, And I just thought that was kind of like a don't patronize me thing. But looking back, I'm like, no, that was so it's it's not it's it's not just that you don't like the Victorian era and and its assumptions regarding the genders when you consistently feel discomfort at gendered traits, your brain comes up with every other possible excuse, then this is gender dysphoria and you are transgender. You try and run through any other option, any other explanation that you have. And I was able to- What were some of the other ones you tried? God, uh, I'm scared of growing up. That's why I hate my post-pubescent body. That's, you know- uh... Peter Pan. Yeah. Hormones are making my brain weird. And that's why I'm sad. I don't like Mm. being patronized. I attributed a lot of things to like, I'm not girly. So like, I don't like it when people see me as a girl. (laughs) 
that one didn't really make a lot of sense, but I'm like, sure. That yeah. rationalizes it and makes me not have to face the fact that I am transgender. It, I mean, it is such a basic way of creating divisions or symmetries in the human experience. Nurses in the 21st century crying in joy about the newborn. It's a human! <laughs> yeah, it's right? just... From that very first moment. Yeah, right? it's uh, this Gender weird... is dividing our experience down the seam. I once heard someone describe it of with the like pink for girls and blue for boys of like, ah, yes, gen uh, color code your toddlers so strangers know what their genitals look like. Right. Perfect. It's that weird. Because if you look at it, so many people, the like baseline transphobe argument is like, have you ever read a biology textbook? And my response is, have you read a biology textbook that was written after 1986? What are the new facts? Well, hormones in the womb change they fluctuate and there are hormones there is um di dihydrotestosterone i think i'm pretty sure 90 percent sure it's dihydrotestosterone dihydrotestosterone masculinizes the body but the body gets masculinized before the brain does so dihydrotestosterone gives you your your chromosomes and all you know your secondary sex characteristics and your primary sex characteristics but Sometimes hormones in the womb change before it gets to masculinizing the brain and forming those connections on those neural pathways that provide a male identity. Male and female brains work differently, marginally different, a tiny bit different. Through CT scans of trans people's brains, people have found that the, the brain of a trans person aligns with the brain of the gender that they say they are as opposed to the gender that they were born. So that's modern biological fact that, honestly, transphobes should read about. Because it's, whenever anybody's like, this goes against science, it's like, no, it doesn't. It just doesn't. There's so much here in terms of trans medicine and research into why transgender people are the way they are. And we have an explanation for binary trans people. Well, we still haven't even brush the surface on binary trans people and we haven't even started looking into non-binary trans people we don't know right now but we know that there have been examples of non-binary and third gender and gender flux people throughout all of human history uh i'd like it if you would unpack a little more what do you mean by non-binary because it sounds like you're uh describing it as a, a different phenomenon from, from transgender, as we understand it in the current moment. There's two umbrellas. There's the general transgender umbrella, which encompasses all gender identities that aren't my gender matches up with the body that I have. Anything that isn't that, that is under the transgender umbrella. Then you have binary trans people and those are trans men and trans women i personally am a binary trans person i am a trans man i just went from one side of the binary to the other non-binary is a second umbrella under the trans umbrella uh which includes people who identified as generally non-binary which is a third gender gender fluid agender uh polygender 
There are so many. Uh, yeah, the, I mean, those make me think of a person, you know, choosing to sort of aim themselves at society in such a way that their way of life constitutes a critique of the concept of gender. I dare say to be careful with your wording because gender is never a choice. Even someone who is gender fluid, whose gender may change from week to week or day to day, gender is never a choice. You never choose what gender you are. You just are. Non-binary people certainly don't fit into the what we've said as a normal social structure. Um, but if you look throughout all of human history, non-binary people and third gender people have always been there. In most Native American traditions, they have uh, people who are called two-spirit, people who are considered neither male nor female and were considered great spiritual leaders. In Pakistan, there are people who are third gender who are considered nor neither male nor female. In Africa, there have been people who have been socially and culturally considered neither male or female. And those people often hold a strong religious and spiritual role uh, just because England and some of Europe decided that they weren't going to include non-binary and third gender people in their social structure doesn't mean that they haven't been included in others. You've learned a lot about the phenomenon both uh, inside and outside yourself. Tell me more about what you've learned about what you described as coming out to yourself as trans, what, what that journey has been like. Yeah, uh, coming out to myself was weird it was really weird it was yeah for a while i was feeling really unhappy just with myself the direct feeling that i had the exact feeling that i had was i don't want to be me anymore it was like something about this is wrong and then one day it just kind of clicked i i asked someone if life was a game of pokemon and at the beginning, Professor Oak asks you if you're a boy or a girl, what would you answer? And everyone I asked, their answer lined up with the gender that they were born as. And mine didn't. Because I was like, well, if someone randomly out of the blue was like, hey, you're about to start a life. You are about to start a life. You want to be a boy or a girl? I would choose boy. And that is not connected to any kind of, oh, male privilege thing. It just, I just never connected with any kind of female role and that's saying a lot because me and my friends do a lot of rpgs and a lot of larping and i notoriously always had a male character that was because i could embody a male character i could be a male character but every female character just felt distant i didn't know how to be that and so i started looking yeah. at everything and i just kind of had this moment of like oh shit this isn't normal. If I have a friend who figured out that he was colorblind this year, he is 17. He is severely red-green colorblind. And he was like, I thought everyone just looked at stoplights and knew which one was stop or go by the order that they were in. And we're like, no, Abe, they're different colors. It's that kind of a thing because we don't know what anyone else is experiencing. We have no clue what anyone else is experiencing. And we just kind of assume that what we're experiencing is what everyone else is experiencing. And when you figure out that that's not true, that's really jarring. And you're like, oh. And then I started looking into it more. And I, I did a lot of those like silly little online quizzes like, am I transgender? Like, 
oh, this will tell me for sure. Oh, it all makes sense now. And it was really upsetting. And I wasn't happy with it. And that launched off probably the worst year of my life to date because I became severely depressed, very, very dysphoric. Now that I was aware of it, I couldn't think about anything else. And just not not functioning well. And that was my freshman year of high school. God, I hope there's not a worse year than that. At the end of my eighth grade, my grandmother died. And I told my parents that I thought I might be gender fluid. But I never followed up and we didn't talk about it at all. And then that summer, I went to a summer camp. And at the summer camp, somebody asked me my pronouns for the first time. And me and this other friend who is non-binary, we're both like, oh, you can use any pronouns. I don't care. Tee, he, he, everyone use she, her. We were female presenting. But it, it was a step. And then that fall, I went to high school and I became friends with trans people. There were trans people in high school. Right. And I was like, oh shit, there are other people like me. And I told, I told a couple of my good childhood friends, uh, friends I've had since I moved here. And I told my trans friend, like, I think I might be trans. And he was like, okay, well, what are you feeling? And I described everything. And he was like, yeah, that sounds like it. The first time it came out of your mouth to your parents, you had a notion of gender fluid. You would have been around 13 or 14 at the time you were making these first or, or working your way towards making these claims. For any adolescent, the rap on adolescence is they think everything is the, the end of the world because it's really the beginning of the world. The, the tricky thing about coming out in your adolescence as trans is if you come out in your childhood, everyone's like, oh, it's too early to tell. And then if you come out as an adult, they're like, well, why haven't you shown, shown signs since you were little? Like, you can't win. People are always going to say you're either too young or too old. You're never the right age to be trans. I came out when I figured it out. I came out when I, well, I came out to my friends after I figured it out. I came out to my family when I was ready, which ended up being around Thanksgiving that fall, November 22nd, because November 22nd is National Transgender Day. And I was like, well, could it taste any? Really? Isn't it, isn't it the day uh, Kennedy was shot? I came out to my parents as transgender. I cried. They cried. We watched a movie. We talked about it in the morning. I went swimming with my mom. I was really dysphoric. I was generally not okay. And then I was at dinner and my dad was like, hey, are you okay? And you know, when you have to say something that you really, really just don't want to say, and it's just a difficult moment, my brain left my body and I was like, I'm transgender. I remember my dad's exact phrase. He went, okay, Lucas is transgender <laughs> all right let's talk about this and then i started mm -hmm. crying and the rest of the night we didn't really talk about it we watched this weird norwegian movie it was kind of cool <laughs> <laughs> anyway and then in the morning we talked and i was like i'm trans i just i'm not comfortable with this body and my dad was like okay do you want to get surgery i'm like right now i just want to get a binder and a binder not like a school binder but like a chest binder it's a uh -huh. um garment that presses down latatas and masculinizes mm. the chest temporarily masculinizes the chest 
uh, yeah. at the cost of a certain discomfort, I would have to imagine. Yeah, uh, it's very damaging. I have now been biting mm. for a little over three years. I've had bruised Ooh. ribs, pulled muscles. Ooh. I'm short of breath always, and I have constant chest pain. Binding is not sustainable. On this journey that you've described, you also were certain that there was doctorhood in your future. What you were saying at the end of the last soundbite makes it clear to me in a way I hadn't quite understood that trans has to be what in our scientific medical regimen we would call a pediatric phenomenon. There has been a higher trend in people coming out earlier. There's a phenomenon where trans women come out earlier than trans men, because if we see a girl, girl playing with boy things, boy things, we're just like, ah, she's a tomboy. If we see a boy playing with girl things, we're like, something is wrong. A male bodied person who's like, I want to be Elsa for Halloween. The parents are like, what's wrong with our child? But me, when I was little, for Halloween, I was Dracula and then a pumpkin. And my parents weren't like, a lot of the transmasculine people I know, they've only really started to think about being trans after puberty hit and secondary sex characteristics grew in. And they were like, wow, I really don't like this. But there are plenty of people who come out later in life. We have a good friend who came out, I think, a year and a half ago. She's in her mid-50s and her son came out as non-binary. No, her child came out as non-binary. And then she was like, let me look into this whole gender thing. And now she is a fabulous, wonderful trans woman rocking the activism scene. Just, I love her. It's less of an age thing. It's more of a when did you figure it out thing. It's like some kids know they're gay in middle school and some people don't figure out that they're gay until they're in their 70s. But it does make sense that adolescence, especially with all of the the changes and the the cues of puberty signaling change in the in the gendered body, a lot of people definitely triggering. come out around puberty because a lot of because uh, they see their classmates being upset about a pimple and they're like, oh, I have a deep and fundamental disconnect between my gender and my body. You're telling me you don't, and they're like, no. <laughs> In the last five or 10 years, I'm just learning sharp increases in anxiety and depression among yeah. teenagers. I attribute that to the school system. Really? Um, yeah. Our school this is kind of a sad statistic. I've been there for three years and we've had two suicides while I was there and one while I was in middle school. That shouldn't happen. That shouldn't happen. Well... There have been, in two consecutive years, two consecutive suicides. That both can and can't be specifically about the school system. In our culture and in our society, there's this huge pressure on success and on succeeding, specifically academically. And schools assign a lot of homework. And that sounds cliche. You know, I don't like homework. But it can really, really wreck you. Let's say you are a soccer player. You're a soccer player. You go to school, you go to practice. Practice, you get done with school at 3.15. Practice lasts until 5.30 or 6. And then you get home and then you have six hours of homework to do. And you have to be up at 6 a.m. to catch the bus the next day. 
And then everyone yells at you for being lazy and not getting your work done and always being tired. And you should have a better sleep schedule. And why are your grades dropping? And meanwhile, you know, your friends are being mean and, you know, all the other pressures of high school while you're being told that you need to get straight A's in order in order to have any form of self-worth. Uh, and stress is just being piled on at the minute. And if you fail, they put you in a box of a failure and a dropout and they tell you that you can't accomplish anything no matter how hard you try. And then you live in that box. Uh, that sounds like a critique, not just of the school system, but uh, of society more generally. There was a study done in 2013 that shows that modern day high schoolers have the same mental health as asylum inmates in the 1950s. I want to thank you, Lucas, for your, for your time, for your clarity, uh, and for indulging your, uh, your interlocutor's befuddlement. Dysphoria is a word I had heard and was becoming comfortable with, but uh, I think you're the first person I've heard use in conversation with me the adjective form, dysphoric. Uh, mm. Is it, in fact, the opposite of euphoria and euphoric? Are you experiencing it now that you've come out? Yes and yes and no. So gender dysphoria is the opposite of gender euphoria. It is much, 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 much more commonly felt than gender euphoria. Gender dysphoria is a diagnosable medical condition. Gender euphoria is not because it doesn't hinder your life. It's just happiness. I have only experienced gender euphoria once in my life. I went skateboarding with my brother and I was trying a different kind of binding, which is called open chest binding. It's not a garment and the, the skin of the sternum is exposed. I went skateboarding with my brother and I went down a hill and I felt the wind on that little bit of my bare chest. And I just felt like a cis boy. I felt like I had a male body for a split second. And it was this overwhelming fe feeling of euphoria. I just dropped my skateboard in the grass and just laid there and laughed for 15 minutes and my brother was like dude are you okay and i was like i have never been more okay that does describe it yep <laughs> one of my basic questions as i was thinking about talking to you was you know to try to get a sense of what what does it feel like to feel like a boy like a girl like a male like a female as opposed to feeling like yourself, like oneself, like a human in a body without the genderfuck. For example, take a pronoun. If I were to talk about you in a sentence and I were to say, yeah, Roger, she's really cool and I really like her and she has really cool glasses and she has a great painting on the wall. You don't connect with those words. You're not like, wait, that's me. You're like, <laughs> uh, excuse me? Like, what? It's, it's kind of like that. I don't know. It's this weird disconnect and it's hard to describe because I, you know, obviously you can't know what I feel and I can't know what you feel. And I don't know what it's like to feel like a girl or to feel non-binary, but I know that for me, feeling like a boy means that if I think about being referred to as male and being referred to with he, him pronouns and being seen socially as a male, it makes me feel happy and comfortable. Being referred to as female makes me very uncomfortable and very unhappy. And I know that being referred to as non-binary makes me kind of like, okay, you're going through a lot more trouble than I'm asking you to go through, but congrats. 
anybody can be referred to with they them pronouns. It's just a normal part of the English language. Well, becoming increasingly normal, I hope. Oh, it's always oh. been very normal. I mean, if you're on the phone with a telemarketer and you don't know what gender they are, what do you call them? I just use they them in a sentence. Like someone says like, hey, someone left their water bottle in the gym. That doesn't sound weird. You say that all the time in the context of having to have that referred to. So something that people are unsure about and don't know a lot about makes it seem a lot scarier. Tell about your friends as you were going through this and how they viewed and either helped or, or didn't. So first you have to understand that I have three different groups of friends. I have my like RPGing, like middle school group of friends. And then I have my queer chaotic group of friends from freshman year. And then I have this group that I'm not really hanging out with much anymore, but we're, we're still friends. So the first group, the RPG friends, when I told them that I might be questioning my gender in eighth grade, they immediately started brainstorming new names for me. First thing they did, they were like, yeah, we can use other pronouns now. Ooh, let's roll up a new name. I'm like, yeah, that's the spirit. My queer right. friends are very queer. And they were all like, okay, can I support you? My trans friend, my trans mask friend uh, bought me my first binder, which is really kind of them for as a birthday present. Folks you hadn't met until high school. Yeah, mm-hmm. most of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the third group of people who I'm not really hanging out with anymore, but I'm still friends with, they were all kind of like, okay, cool. A lot of people were just kind of like, yeah, that actually fits you a lot better. And I'm like, right? <laughs> the interesting thing about names is I tried out maybe three or four names before I settled on Lucas. Oh, really? Yeah. And the interesting thing was the biggest contender in the race for the name was Theo, uh, short for Theodore. And I asked my friends to call me Theo. And it, it took them a while. And then when mm-hmm. I settled on Lucas and I asked them to call me Lucas, it took them a day. Mm-hmm. Everyone was like, wait, that is you. Lucas really fits you. And I'm like, yeah, it really does. Um, and it really didn't take people long to switch over because it just fit. Hmm. So that was cool. Great to get that kind of confirmation, I'm sure. Yep. In the period of time since you've been out, others have started to bring their their inner gender concerns towards you and you've been able to offer help. Tell us about that. Yeah. Um, Shortly after I came out, actually, shortly meaning like eight months, 10 months, something like that, I started figuring myself out. I had myself figured out pretty good. I didn't have my name yet, but I had my pronouns. I was changing my pronouns, all that stuff. I had myself figured out pretty good. And one of my friends came to me and was like, hey, Lucas, I think I might be trans. And I was like, all right, let's talk about this. So I talked with them. I talked with them about my internal process and compared it with theirs. And we had a lot of long conversations, mostly online, some of them in person. And they ended up coming out and are now living their wonderful non-binary life. And then over the years, a lot in my sophomore year and a lot in my junior year and a couple more recently, friends have just come to me and they've been like, hey, I've been questioning my gender and you seem like the right person to ask. I've helped at this point, I think four people come out to their families and I'm actively mentoring three people. What are the type of 
ways you're able to offer concrete help in this process? I answer a lot of questions about the internal processes. I answer a lot of questions about dysphoria and comparing dysphoria because as a trans person, there is so much doubt because you can never really know. I don't know if I feel like a boy because I don't know what it is to feel like anything other than me. You don't really know. So just I was know, yeah, you just know how you respond to society. So there is so much doubt. And I'm kind of cracking open a fresh can of doubt as I move towards some more intense medical transition, personally. Mm -hmm. Just helping to talk through some of the doubt, not necessarily saying, yes, you are trans, don't worry about it, but saying, all right, let's look at what it is. Because I think an assumption that a lot of people have is only trans people question their gender. And I think, personally, that's stupid. That is stupid as all hell. In the HSA, the Health Sciences Academy, I took a class on human growth and development. And as part of that, we learned about James Marsha. Now, James Marsha talked about four stages of identity development based on the presence or absence of... Give me one second to conjure up the words. Crisis and commitment. Crisis and, and commitment. Yep. Okay. And James Marsha has four stages of identity development but they're not like you click one off you go to the next you can fluctuate between them well there's one right. that's kind well, of well it sounds like erickson's model of human development which kind is, of which is eight but they but crisis and commitment could describe those you know the crux of each it's a little different than erickson erickson really talked about at this stage of life this is what's happening and at this stage of life this is what's happening and marsha mm -hmm. moore talked about Crisis is questioning, any kind of questioning, and commitment is making a decision. Foreclosure, which is what most people have in their, with their gender identity, uh, commitment with no crisis. You haven't thought about it, but you're, you have an answer. Someone who has foreclosure, their parents have been telling them that they're going to Harvard ever since they were little, and now they're going to Harvard. They haven't thought about where they want to go to college. They were just told, you're going to Harvard, and they were like, okay, I'm going to Harvard. Way more of uh, the actual slots in the Harvard undergrad class are given to twerps like that. Yeah. There's identity achievement. Identity achievement, which is crisis with commitment. You've thought about it. You've made a decision. In the college example, someone who is at the stage of identity achievement has thought about where they want to go to college, looked at a couple of colleges, and chosen the one that they like the most. There is identity diffusion. Diffusion? Yes, there's diffusion. Identity diffusion. Uh -huh which is no crisis and no commitment, complete apathy. That is someone who's like, I haven't thought about college and I'm not going to. And then there's moratorium. Moratorium, which is crisis with no commitment. You don't know where you're going. You're freaking out entirely. You're just like, oh my God, there's so many options. I don't know what to choose. And those, are, so those are the four stages of identity development. And now you can see how they're different from Erickson's. In terms of gender, most people are in for uh, foreclosure. They're told, hey, you're a boy. And then they were like, okay, I guess I'm a boy. Uh, and they, they never think about it. Where I'm at, and a lot of the people who I've talked to, and even cis people who I've talked to are at, is identity achievement. We've thought about our gender. And we've looked at the evidence, and we've made an informed decision. Either 
male, female, or some other option, non-binary, gender fluid, any anything like that. Very few people <laughs> are in a state of identity diffusion uh, of <laughs> with their gender. I haven't thought about my gender and I'm not going to is not generally a statement <laughs> that you hear. So that's... Identity right, it's fusion. neither medically advisable nor really, uh, you know, <laughs> right. socially that's, feasible. Yeah, that's like someone whose parents didn't gender them when they were born, and then they just never <laughs> thought about it, and they're just like, and they don't have a, it. It's not really applicable. Where a lot of the people who I mentor are scared that they're stuck at is moratorium. They're in moratorium. They have a crisis, but no commitment. They haven't settled on the identity that feels right for them yet. And they're questioning and they're questioning and where they get really scared is they think they're going to be there forever. And I'm like, you're not. Uh, it may take years. It may take dozens of years. But at some point, you will find an answer. Even if that answer well, is, I don't know. But you will find an answer. I implore everyone to think about their gender. And it doesn't have to be long. They can just be like, huh, do I actually think I identify with my body and the gender I'm socially given? And the answer might be yes, and that's fine. But you've thought about it, and that's what's important. And that's part of bringing awareness because everyone at some point in their life questions their sexuality. They just do. You see Jude Law on screen for the first time, you're like, oh, fuck, maybe I am gay. Maybe not. But, but you have that moment, that moment of like, maybe. And if you turn out to be some form of queer in your sexuality great you figured that out you had an awakening it's important to just to question and not just take the answers that you're given that last sound bite uh sounded like it had the ring of advocacy to it what does it mean to you acting as an advocate or activist it's very important to me especially a lot of this trans activism stuff is very important to me because it's directly applicable to me and to a lot of people that I know and love dearly. I imagine your interest in the science of the body has been a great help in this respect. Absolutely. And the fact that I am fascinated about all kinds of stuff about hormones and human development, because if I wasn't, mm -hmm. I'd be like, gosh, I don't want to do all that research. As it is, I enjoy teaching people. I enjoy informing people about this gender thing. I really like it because it feels like I'm doing something good. Fortunately, I rarely get the opportunity to educate someone who has entirely adverse beliefs to me, but I have had that opportunity to interact with people who believe that me, not what I'm doing, but me, that my identity is incorrect or wrong or gross in some way. Uh, gross isn't disgusting, not as in large. Although my gender identity certainly is very large. Gender identity. <laughs> very gross gender identity it is. I think the whole concept is really kind of gross when you think about it. Yeah, gender. I was talking with one of my friends. This is one of the friends who I helped um, to come out as non-binary. So I was talking with them. And I was like, yeah, you know, my gender dysphoria really just makes me want to have a male body. But what does yours do? You're non-binary. And they just looked at me and they want They were like, I want to be a shapeless cryptid. And I'm like, you know what? That's a mood. That is that's 
it. That is the vibe for today. Maybe you can help educate me some or alleviate some of my befuddlement because certainly there's a lot of tricky political and social and, and ideological kind of issues related to transgender people as a category, their civil rights. Certainly there's been the sharp increase in the past few years in young people asserting a trans identity. It just wasn't really on, on society's radar to this extent 20 or more years ago, or barely even 10 years ago. There's a lot of pressure on your generation. I presume this has something to do with the increase in, in trouble with gender identity. I honestly don't know. I don't think we have enough proof and enough data to determine whether it is causation or correlation. With people being like, all these new genders, it's kind of the same thing as when like gay people became more accepted. It's like, bisexual, what does that even mean? And they were like, wait, but gay people didn't exist before the 1970s. And it's like, <laughs> actually, they did. You just threw them in mental health asylums. Even as trans people keep coming out and being more prominent, it's still only around 3% of people that are trans in America. Three percent already sounds like an order of magnitude higher than. Oh, it's large. Oh, it's large. Thought. But compared to, compared to what a lot of transphobes would lead you to believe, they're not making all of your daughters men. Now they're not making all your sons women. The transgender agenda is to live happy and functional lives. That's it. It's kind of that sign of someone in your community being out and happy as trans. It's kind of that sign to other people who may be questioning their gender of like, hey, it's okay to do that. And if it's a community where there is a, a trans person or a couple of trans people who are out, but they are ostracized and they are constantly harassed and there's just constant slander against them, that might signal to people who are um, questioning their gender, hey, don't try. As a, an issue of human rights and civil rights, it seems to be boiling down to a demand to respect how some individuals see themselves and define themselves, make it and make a claim for their own identity. When someone's like, hey, when you do this, it makes me feel really uncomfortable and sad. And I'd prefer it if you do this other thing and it is related to gender. And I prefer it if you thought of me as this gender and used these pronouns. It's part of just being a decent human being to be like, yes, I will go through a tiny inconvenience so you can be not depressed. The inconvenience being being what exactly? An argument you hear a lot is that it's really inconvenient to switch pronouns or switch a name or put a gender neutral bathroom in your building. Oh, well, that's 0.1% more work than I was planning to do today. Whereas to the trans person, it's like, hi, could you help me just live, please? <laughs> I saw on the, the ACLU's webpage, they're fighting to make it easier for trans people to obtain driver's licenses or IDs that reflect their, their claimed gender identity, not their, their natal sex. I recently changed my name legally and also got the papers to get a gender marker change. Uh, unfortunately, I live near Burlington, which has a transgender clinic, and I was able to go there and talk to them, and they just gave me the papers that say, yeah, this person can get their gender marker changed. But trans clinics are far and few between, and you have to go to a doctor that 
will give you those papers in order to change your gender marker. Doctors, especially like general practitioners, like family medicine people, as much as they're supposed to be loving and supporting and there for you, can be really insensitive about a lot of things. Just even a slightest bit of, hey, I'm trans, can I get a gender marker change of the doctor being like, what? That's someone who you're reaching out to for support, who should be able to support you, who then isn't. It seems like on one level, what we're talking about is a pretty straightforward issue about respecting the rights and the, the dignity of a minority of human beings. But on another level, I think the trans issue opens up questions and paradoxes that are unique. And also, uh, I'm gathering that the, the cultural uh, temperature seems so high around the issues that dialogue about it is uh, getting pretty difficult. It is difficult to talk about because there are questions that just keep getting asked every time you talk about it with someone. And there's a point where you're like, you know what? I'm done with this. I don't need to answer this question for you. I, I have to remind myself that this person has like a genuine interest. This person actually like wants to know about stuff and like it isn't, they're not trying to be insensitive. But then at the same time, it's like, this is the like fifth time someone has asked me if I'm sure that I'm trans in a week. It just, it gets tiring. And I have, I have a couple of stories about people just really, really being insensitive with asking questions. Before I came out, I was catcalled and followed and verbally harassed on the street between the ages of 10 and 14. I actually haven't been catcalled at all after I came out because I was more male presenting. One time I was driving down to Boston. We were in the gas station getting some food. They'd already gotten their food and they were heading back to the car and I was in the aisle grabbing some Reese's Pieces and this guy walked up to me and I just went, hey buddy, you got a dick? And I just dropped the Reese's Pieces and ran out of the gas station. I was like, I'm not like not answering. I'm not interacting with you anymore because that is what? <laughs> Every time I walk into a male public bathroom, I have to get a come at peace with myself that there is a chance that I will not walk out of that bathroom. Because trans people get harassed, beat up, and murdered every year. And I actually, I kind of feel like I'm overdue for a hate crime, which sounds horrible to say, but I'm 16. Oh, oh it's horrible to hear. Right. I'm 16. I've been out and proud for three and a half years. I feel like I'm overdue for a hate crime. I haven't been physically assaulted or harassed at all. And I'm like, mm, when's the other shoe going to drop? Uh, and I'm leaving for a gap year pretty soon. And I really wish I could say that I wasn't a little bit terrified that I'm not going to make it through my gap year without a majorly traumatic event. And I talked with a couple of my trans and queer friends and I was like, hey, do you guys have this assumption that at some point there will be a hate crime done against you? And they're like, yeah, absolutely. They're just like, yeah, 100%. And I'm like, oh, that's kind of depressing. And they're like, yep, it is. Um, we're all teenagers and we're all, we all feel pretty certain that at some point we're going to be beat up by someone or assaulted in some other way. And it's, 
just something that we live with. The thought that it is, uh, it is the opposite of a privilege. Yeah. And that's why people are like, oh, gender neutral bathrooms. It doesn't matter that much. I'm like, really? Are you sure? I have had situations where I've had to go into the women's bathroom because there are no trash cans in the stalls of the men's bathroom. So there's no way to dispose of a period product without carrying it out into the center place and throwing it in the public trash can, which I am not going to do. So there are times when I have to go uh, into the women's bathroom and I have had uh, mothers draw their children in closer. I have had people gasp. I have had people stare. I have had people inform me that I'm in the wrong bathroom a lot. I have had uh, one one lady, I walked in and she went, <gasps> and I was like, move along, ma'am. I don't have time for this. Guys don't interact with each other in the bathroom is something I've noticed. You guys, men go in, do their business. Hey, don't you, you guys, me. <laughs> in my experience mm. in women's bathrooms, it's like washing your hands like, oh, hey, Cassandra, it's so nice to see you. Oh my God, I love your hair color. It's going great. People talking, people doing their makeup. And it's, it's you know, it's a social event, the bathroom. But also, cis men, y'all are getting cheated out of clean bathrooms. I'm sorry, you guys, compared to the women's bathrooms, men's bathrooms are disgusting the whole time most like 99% of them like I don't even want to know like when there's like gendered bathroom in a gas station if the if someone comes back from the women's bathrooms like it was really gross and then someone comes back from the men's bathrooms and is like it, it was really gross the women's bathroom she means like there is graffiti and there was like toilet paper on the floor the men's the the, the person coming back from the men's bathroom probably means that someone had sh shit on the floor there are some like funny gender things like that that i've now noticed um after like presenting as male yeah, um well and and having been raised you know a uh, female yeah it's it's really it's interesting because i get the social experience of both being perceived as female and male let me tell you very different very very different i think you've already given uh examples that fall on on both sides of the leisure in terms of it uh, being advantageous or or disadvantageous for your future, you know? Yeah, uh, and honestly, I sometimes I think about my future, I'm like, I'm gonna do great things, I'm gonna be a doctor, I'm gonna be, you know, a trans person out on the world. And then sometimes I think about my future, I'm like, I'm gonna be dead in the ditch before I'm 26. Uh, the latter is probably not very likely, um, but you know, it's a possibility. L less likely than a hate crime sometime between now and then. But you gotta joke about it. Because otherwise it crushes you. Mm. The, I'm Gen Z. We joke mm. about the dark things. Like I joke with my friends like, yeah, you know, I gotta get back to martial arts lessons for the fucker that tries to hate crime me. Uh, and like, that's funny. We all have a laugh. Uh, and then someone jokes about their depression and then we all go home and cry. That was a joke. That was a joke. <laughs> Coping mechanisms. Well, well, I wonder whether you uh, feel there are physical or or physiological things that you are wanting to change. You know about how you are. I mean, you have some some questions about possible medical interventions in your future. I guess. Yeah. Um. Currently, I'm looking at getting top surgery, so that would be a double mastectomy. 
somewhere between next August and next October. Mm. So we're looking at so pretty, still in the in the b- before you turn eighteen range. You know? Well, I'd love to do it before October because I'd love to get like the full bit of my gap year as much as my of my gap year as I can without being stuck in Vermont uh, recovering from surgery. And it's often accompanied, although not in my case, by hormone replacement therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a transmasculine case, testosterone and transfeminine case, estrogen and mastectomy is only applicable in a transmasculine case. I'm pretty much every day dysphoric about my chest and binding is becoming less and less of an option as I go on. So when I first came out, I told everybody else to kind of stop them from freaking out that I didn't want to medically transition for a while. Uh, I, I said not until after college, but as time has gone on, I'm like, that is not possible. I cannot wait that long. I've waited for three and a half years and it's. So the, the, the sense of dissonance is a a kind of pressure that you feel building. You have this discomfort and this sadness every day, and then you have it for a bit. And then you're like, okay, you know what? I think I'll be able to deal with this for a while and I'll just be able to move on. And then you don't move on and it just comes back and it comes back and it comes back and it's just constantly intrusive in your life. And at some point you're like, I'm done. I'm fucking done. I I can't take any more of this. I guess there is the possibility or uh, the likelihood perhaps that in some time in the future, you'll be thinking about intervening in your body's hormonal balance. Yeah, maybe, probably. I don't know. Testosterone tends to be an all or nothing deal. And there are some things that I'm not very comfortable with that are changes of testosterone. What do you mean all or nothing? You can't pick and choose what effects you have. Uh Uh, And there are some effects that I'm like, I don't 100% want that. But a lot of the other effects, fat redistribution and lowering of the voice and uh, body hair growth, all are very desirable. But as I said, testosterone is a all or nothing deal. Uh, And until I'm certain that I want all, I'm going to go with nothing. Some things about the, the topic are sort of inevitably uncomfortable. Let me ask the question about what's making me uncomfortable. It strikes me that on one level, what we're facing here is a set of people with a fundamental human rights that need to be respected in a way that uh, society you know, should honor by changing. On another level, though, there is a, a real sort of set of paradoxes like in no other realm of life that i can think of are we asked to or expected to grant truth value to an individual's inwardly felt sense of reality over external verifiable factors but the trans movement seems to be centered on making this kind of reality claim a kind of ontology i am who i am who i claim to be if if my body says otherwise It's the body that needs to be changed. And if you think otherwise, then fuck you. That's the sentiment. Well, it's like someone who was born without a hand being like, I should have a hand. And everyone's like, yeah. Except for you can't physically see that, you know, the gender is wrong. It's less of a want. It's not really a desire. It's this 
internal, deep, guttural feeling of something is wrong. Something is very, very wrong. Something is not as it should be. And that's that's one of the things that um, dysphoria really affects is you just, you have this like deep visceral feeling of like, this is not right. And it's, I don't know, it's really hard to explain. The way I explain it, so actually, oh yes. So at Splash, I went to a course on gender and um, talking about gender with other people. Cause I was like, that's very interesting. I love it. As an activity, we each got handed an index card and we weren't allowed to show each other our cards. The person heading the course was like, hey, so go over here if you have three blue squares and go over here if you have three pink circles. And we were like, okay, I got an index card. I had three pink circles. I went over to the pink circles. And then some people were standing in the middle. And I was like, guys, come on. They're just sorting us for an activity. Can you just get over here? And then the the person leading it was like, hey, you got to get to a side. Uh, and they kind of awkwardly shuffled uh, into different areas. And the person leading it was like, all right, now can some people tell me why you were standing in the middle? And I was like, yeah, guys, come on. They were just trying to sort us for an activity. Look, I have three pink circles. Uh, and this kid was like, I have three orange triangles and this kid, this cis kid, his hand shot up. The person called on him and he went, my card is fucking blank. He was so upset. He was like, there's nothing written here. What am I supposed to do with this? It really illustrated very well. You don't choose. Nobody was like, I think I'll have three triangles. You get handed something. And then you get told to choose a side. And then when you're standing in the middle, what am I supposed to do with this? I don't have pink circles or blue squares. I have a green octagon and I don't know what to do. But the way you described it was much more multiplicity, much, much more in betweenhood. That's also how gender is. And there's also the difference between gender identity and gender expression. I identify as a man, but I often express myself in a very feminine way. I love skirts. I fucking love skirts. I think they're great. They're flowy. They're fun. Dresses are a bit more of an issue because I get dysphoric around my chest. I love wearing more typically feminine clothing because I'm so comfortable in my identity as a man that I don't feel threatened by it, by this feminine clothing. And then people assume that my identity of as a man, especially as a trans man, is less valid because I am displaying some form of interest in what we deem to be a, a, a female thing, when really it's just feminine. We've gotten to the point where we can start accepting cis people who are interested in typically gendered clothing and gendered right. aspects so of the like other. Sounds like what you call gender fluidity earlier. Right. Well, in the, gen in the gender realm of expression. Gen yeah, Ex fluidity in your gender expression, but then there's also gender fluidity in your identity. Gender fluid people, man, my heart goes out to them because they have to explain to people that yes. Yes, my pronouns were he, him two weeks ago. Yes, my pronouns are she, her now. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not faking it. This is another one of those things where it's largely people in their adolescence who are going through this. And at the same time, the culture is saying whatever the person claims their identity to be. And you say under your breath this week or this month or this year is what the reality is. And the world better set up and take notice. It's a tough one. I am afraid I don't see why it's difficult. 
a gender fluid person is much like a bisexual person. Like when a bisexual person's in a straight relationship, you don't say they're straight. And then when they're in a gay relationship, you're like, oh no, suddenly you're gay. No matter what they are presenting as or identifying as their overarching identity is gender fluid. And I also don't see what's difficult about, you know, doing a, a small thing to help someone feel a little bit better about themselves. There's one way of looking at the question when you're looking at a person, conversing with a person about that person's feelings and choices and circumstances, and another as it grows into broader social questions. It's much easier to to obfuscate and much easier to sort of uh, flame at one another on that mm-hmm. level. True. Something that is a personal pet peeve of mine is that people generally assume that trans people owe them proof in order for those people to respect their identity. For some reason, I owe some random stranger proof that what I have known is true in my heart of hearts for a long time is actually true. I just don't see a point of argument. If given the option between do a nice thing for someone and interrogate them about something that they're struggling with, I just, I don't understand why you would choose to interrogate them. Perhaps the weight of, uh, of the issue might fall a little harder on a person born into a male body and, you know, becoming, uh, a trans woman, uh, maybe a little bit more. I mean, those are uh, the ones supposedly, you know, to be feared in, in the bathroom. Trans women do get a lot more shit than trans men because they don't have the benefit. And I hate saying that it's a benefit, but they don't have the benefit of being fetishized by cishet men. The whole turfy argument is that Trans women are men who invade female spaces to be sexual predators. A trans person, especially a trans woman, is insanely fucking likely to get harassed, abused, or murdered in a bathroom. Or sexually assaulted. There is an overwhelming number of trans people, especially trans women, who are sexually assaulted in bathrooms each year. No one is concerned for their safety. Everyone's concerned for their poor self-safety. They're perceived as the dangerous one in the situation, but they're actually the endangered one. Exactly. I'm a lot more uncomfortable sharing a bathroom with a cis person who is obsessed with strangers' genitals than I am sharing a bathroom with a trans person. Because trans women are women. Trans women are women. They are different from cis women. Just like black women are different from Caucasian women. Or a short woman is different from a tall woman. They're different, but they are all women. I have talked to trans women about this subject and they're like, yeah, you know, uh, people think that you're automatically a sexual predator just because you have a penis. A lot of trans women don't have the experience of being raised female which means they have entirely different life experiences. But that doesn't mean that they aren't women. Just like I have had 
the experiences of a female person in regards to sexual harassment doesn't mean that I'm not a man. I've heard a lot of people be like, oh, I'm fine with trans men, but I don't get trans women. It's like, okay, we're back to this all or nothing deal. That, well, that just seems like a silly one. I spoke about this with my girlfriend. She said she's, she's never cared that much about uh, being in women-only spaces, but I know some women do feel a strong sort of connection to uh, some sense of, of safety or uh, solidarity in sisterhood bathrooms, I guess, being just one example of, of such a space. And so I think that, that my friend's concern has been that people with penises on their bodies can enter those spaces just by claiming to be women. Right. Yeah, because they are women. Yes, in almost a Freudian sense. What about the penis in the room? I actually wrote an essay about this. Female-only spaces, in terms of, like, safe spaces that are, like, constructed by campuses, do have the option of saying this is a space for those with female-bodied experience. Let's say you want to talk about periods and uh, catcalling and bras. You can say this is for those with female-bodied experience. The, and then the you're not allowed tape. to be upset if a trans man shows up and asks to use he, him pronouns mm -hmm. because you have specified that is for someone with female body experience. If you specify mm -hmm. that is just for women, a trans woman is a woman just because she may have a prostate doesn't mean that she is not a woman and doesn't mean that she doesn't experience catcalling and doesn't buy bras. Also, I've heard a lot of arguments that are like, trans women aren't women because they can't have babies. It's like, okay, 13% uh, of American women are infertile. Are you saying that they are not women? This disregard for this basic human kindness they can do for another person because it, 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 it makes you mildly uncomfortable. And I, I just, I wish I wouldn't be so upset about it if actual legitimate conversation wasn't shut down so frequently if 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 they were open to talking about it and to hearing a trans woman's side of the argument but in all experiences that i i have had people who have these views are not they don't want to talk they just want to yell perhaps you can say that the conversation that we've had may disabuse you of this notion you know, I don't want to yell, nor, nor do I want, you know, you to be mad at me or, or think that uh, I'm conducting hate speech by asking these questions, you know. Right. And the important side of it is patience and tolerance with people who are genuinely curious and genuinely asking. And that is perfectly all right. And that is great because then there's the opportunity for education. But there are a lot of situations like certain fantasy authors that will go unnamed some of the people being branded as as trans exclusionary like one person i know uh, yeah let's talk about turfs i will be using the term turf which stands for trans exclusionary radical feminist which means a person who is a self-identified feminist who believes that trans women are not women and that trans men are in fact confused lesbians i know it created a, a lot of consternation 
Do you want to expand upon it? I haven't read a lot of it because it's infuriating to read. She said something along the lines of, oh, if we're getting rid of biological sex now, I might as well throw away my womanhood. Whoa, okay, let's unpack that for a second. We're not getting rid of biological sex. We are re-visualizing what the word gender means. Secondly, a, a trans person's or a trans woman's identity does not have any effect on your identity and does not invalidate you at all. And third of all, what the fuck? Come on. But there was a big response from both the trans and the allied community, which was really great. When I first started questioning my gender, I was so lost and I needed a place that felt like home. So I reread Harry Potter. Uh, so that was kind of a sick turn of events when she yeah, was right. like, hey, I don't like trans people. I was like, come on, <laughs> you got it. Right? Sort of how I feel about Woody Allen. <laughs> yeah. You can't watch any of his movie anymore. And then there's uh, there's the sports example that came up when we were talking about the caster Semenya, right? Like, I mean, sports is a real gendered space, right? So Where, I'm what not do gonna we do? say it. I'm just gonna come out and say it. Gendered sports are stupid. Gendered sports are the dumbest shit. Ah, gendered sports are the problem. Gendered sports are so dumb. <laughs> like, oh my, boys lacrosse and girls lacrosse have different sets of rules. Mm -hmm. you're not allowed to be aggressive in girl like physically aggressive in girls lacrosse and it's encouraged in boys lacrosse what there are also women with pcos who have very high levels of testosterone biological women xx chromosomes polycystic ovary ovarian syndrome uh -huh. what do we do for someone who has xxy chromosomes are they in the male sports or the female sports the trend should be to to uh, think in terms of overcoming gender or, exactly. or, or gender uh, limitations, perhaps loosening this fold we all have down the center of our brains. If you're given a, a star-shaped block and you're told to put it in a square hole or a circular hole, you cut a star-shaped hole. With segregation, they weren't like, oh, maybe we can rethink how we do our Jim Crow laws. We'll, we'll rethink this. Maybe we'll move black people to the middle of the bus. No, they were like, let's scrap the segregation. It's fucked. So many uh, things about how we've done society and culture will have to be overcome if we are going to expect to survive for more Absolutely. than another generation or two. Oh yeah, I think there's a great change coming and I can't wait. I want to thank you, Lucas, for your for your time, for your clarity, and for indulging your uh, your interlocutor's befuddlement. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And thank you, the viewer, for attending when humanists attack all the way to the end of the video. So you must like us. So like us, you know, as they do on the on the thingy and subscribe and 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 donate and obey and join and build and um, and be our slave thank you so much until next time